Hey, have a seat. And uh, as you do, Harvest, it's been so good for Erica and I to spend these last six weeks with you. Uh, you guys have made us feel like ho- at, right at home, right away. And so we thank you for that. Thanks for your prayers as we head to the south side. And uh, God's doing an awesome work down there. And so we're just excited to partner with you all in this and excited what the Lord has ahead for us. Uh, but if you have your Bibles right now, it's time to get in God's Word. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible with you and the seat backs in front of you somewhere nearby, there's a Bible. Uh, grab it with us. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be. So excited to jump into this together this morning. But as you turn there, um, a bit of an odd question to start us. What's your, what's your favorite part of the July 4th holiday? You're like, warmth, right? <laughs> My phone was like a ball, showed a balmy one degree out this morning, I think. But seriously, how, how do you celebrate our nation's Independence Day? I mean, is it like in the, in the backyard, firing up the grill, a day filled with family, friends, backyard games kind of thing? Or maybe it, for you, it's a certain place with a certain group of people every year, kind of a, tra- tra- a tradition you have with maybe some friends or family. Maybe it's just kind of settling down every 4th of July night just for a fireworks show at the same place, same time every year. But I just, I just want us to think about how we celebrate Independence Day. And it's with that on our minds, I, just, I want us to jump right into verse 1 here. As you're thinking about this, what that July 4th looks like, jump right into verse 1 of Mark chapter 14. Uh, it says this. It says, it was now two days before the what? What's it say next? The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, we've been studying as a church up to this point through the book of Mark. We've come to this point now. It gives us a time cue here. We're two days before the Passover. And there's something I think we just need to step back for a moment and understand what the Passover, what the Feast of Unleavened Bread meant for the Jewish people. And as we kind of think about how we celebrate our Independence Day, I want us to have Independence Day on our mind as we talk about the Passover. Uh, See, the Passover meal for the Jewish people uh, was a meal for them to commemorate, to remember God's faithfulness, to, to spare his people, spare the firstborn of his people, the nation of Israel, uh, when they were in the land of Egypt under Egyptian slavery, 400 years, God, it says in the book of Exodus, God heard the cries of his people. He saw their plight. He said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to deliver you. And so God raises up Moses. He says, Moses, you're the man. I need you to go back. I need you to lead my people out of Egyptian slavery. And we know the banter back and forth. Moses is like, I'm not your guy. He's like, you're my guy. I'm not your guy. You're my guy. Go. Moses lost that battle, okay? Don't argue with God. Moses comes back, plague after plague on the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh's heart remains hard. I will not let your people go. Until one final plague. When God comes to Moses, he says, Moses, here's here's how this is going to work. I need all of the, I need all of my people. I need all of the nation of Israel. Kill a lamb. Prepare this lamb. Eat a meal in haste. Eat it quickly. 
take, take some of the blood of this lamb and put it over your doorway and down your doorpost because this night, the angel of the Lord is going to sweep across the nation of Egypt. And he's going to take the firstborn. But as the, as the angel of the Lord sweeps across Egypt, as God sees the blood over the doorway and down the doorpost, God is going to spare his people. He's going to pass over his people, and you will be spared. Your life will be spared by the blood of the Lamb. And that's exactly what happened. The next morning, you can imagine in Exodus says that the crying across the land of Egypt, as people are awaking in their homes to see their firstborns dead. And Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, Moses, go, take your people and get out of here. The Exodus has just begun. And every year since that event, God said, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to forget what happened there. I don't want you to forget my gracious act of sparing your life, my gracious act of sparking the exodus out of Egyptian slavery and towards the promised land. So here's what I want you to do. Every year, get together, share in a Passover meal, commemorate, remember what the Lord has done to deliver your independence. This was the Passover. We're two days from this right here. Go back to verse 1. It says it was now two days before the Passover. And it mentions another holiday, another celebration here. What's it call it there? Feast of Unleavened Bread. As the Passover started each year, it would also kick off this feast, this seven days celebrating the barley harvest, also seven days to remember that as the people of Israel left the land of Egypt, while they're doing it, they're eating unleavened bread. They had prepared unleavened bread for this exodus, and so the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is a way for the people every year to remember God's faithful, gracious, delivering them out of Egyptian slavery. And now a little more background on this. We need to understand this here. Um, there's a timeline for these events of Passover. Verse 1 tells us we're two days before the Passover event. We're, we're on Wednesday of Passion Week. We're on Wednesday of Passover Week, the day that Jesus, or the, the year that Jesus would be crucified. It's Wednesday. On, on, the fourth, on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, it was the day to prepare the lamb, to slaughter the lamb on the year that Jesus died. This, this fell on Thursday. And so the lamb is prepared on Thursday. We need to understand something about the Jewish days here. Anytime we think of a day, we're thinking midnight to midnight. For the Jews, the day ended at sundown. A new day began as the sun sets. Thursday ends. Sundown, Passover meal begins. Friday, Friday morning, we would think of it as Thursday night. Passover meal begins. This is the timeline. And now here's the thing. I think understanding this timeline of the Passover events helps us understand the timeline of this passage here. And now as we jump in kind of fully to Mark chapter 14 this morning, 
come, we're going to run into some groups or some people that help us move this timeline along. And so let's go there. Let's meet our first group. Let's just call this first group uh, the group of people violently seeking Jesus out. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Let's get after it. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes, here they are, were seeking, to, were seeking how to arrest him by what? By stealth and do what to him? They're seeking to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, verse 2, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And so here you have, we're reintroduced, we meet again, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes. And and we've studied it up to this point. They've played their word games with Jesus. They've tried to trap him. And when that didn't work, they're like, okay, listen, he's got to go. We're done playing games. We're done talking the talk. It's time to act on this. Jesus has to go. And and here's what I think they're thinking. He's got to go quickly. Not during the feast. Not during when like these seven, seven days of celebration are in kind of their full effect. Because the religious leaders here. They understand the same thing that riot police today understand. You don't set off a large group, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 million people in in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem right now for the Passover celebration. You don't set off a large, very large, very excited, very volatile group of people. Uh, I I just kind of want us to picture like Times Square New Year's Eve. Don't do anything to tick those people off, okay? Or you have a major, major crisis on your hands and quickly. And the religious leaders are going, listen, I think Jesus still has some popularity here. And no doubt as as people travel down from the region of Galilee and are in the Jerusalem area for the Passover, I mean, if we do anything, when we have the maximum amount of people at a really volatile time, this could get ugly quickly. And so here's what they say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. I think they they want to get this done before all of the festivities are in their full effect. And now here's the thing as we go on. Here's what you would expect. You'd expect Mark to go right from Mark chapter chapter 14, verse 2, down to Mark chapter 14, verse 10. You'd expect him to jump right to the point in the story where someone comes up, betrays Jesus, here's how how the religious leaders did it, and that's, that's not what he does. Instead, Mark kind of pauses for a moment. He pulls out of this Passover planning, behind-the-scenes plotting, and he takes us to an event that probably happened like the Saturday before in a suburb of Jerusalem, a town called Bethany. And if this first group of people that we saw was kind of, we called the group seeking Jesus out, um, here's here's who Mark wants to introduce us to now. Let's Let's call this person the one who's completely sold out. Look at this scene here, verse 3. And while he, that's Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of, and it tells us whose house he's at, Simon the leper. How about that for a nickname? Imagine what life was like for that guy. Hey, who's that? That's Fred the farmer. 
Well, who's a little bit behind? Oh, that's Simon the leper. I mean, lepers, total social outcasts. And you just wonder if this is a, a, a former leper. A guy who earlier in his life, as everyone's kind of making the wide walk around him, don't get close to that guy. Jesus said, no, no, no. Walked right up to him, laid his hands on him and said, be clean. And I just love in this picture, it tells us whose house Jesus is eating at. A house of a total unclean social outcast. That's our savior. Because I'm the unclean social outcast. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, now picture this, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask. What'd she do? No, we're all going to say that. What'd she do? She broke the flask, remember that, and poured it over his head. So you and I were sitting around this table with Jesus here at the house of Simon the leper. And all of a sudden, a woman walks in. What's the woman's name? Mark doesn't give it to us. You know, we can cross-reference John chapter 12, figure out who this woman is. But for some reason, in Mark's gospel, he doesn't give her a name. And guess what? I think if God wanted her to be named in Mark's gospel, he would have given it to us, right? I think there's a reason she's unnamed here. But this unnamed woman, she walks in here, and it says she has an alabaster flask. This, this is the very one she had. <clears throat> and she walks in with this alabaster flask. And now here's just a little, little background on these things. Alabaster is an extremely strong stone. It's exactly what you would have used to protect some very valuable, whatever is of value inside of it. Uh, typically what you do, it would have a very narrow neck like the top of this. You would seal it off, protect the contents. If you wanted something out of it, poke a very little hole in the top, dab a little bit out, use it as perfume or whatever it is. She walks in and what's she do to it? She two hands this thing over the side of the table and she just starts pouring it out on Jesus' head. you and I were sitting at that table, we would have gone, what is she doing? The people at that table would have been used to an alabaster flask being handled with the utmost care. Because as this text tells us, what's in it is very costly. It's about to tell us how much it is. And the people are there like, what in the world is this woman doing? That's exactly what they're saying. Look at verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they what? And they scolded her. Lady, what are you doing? Do you have any idea how much that's worth? That's worth more than 300 denarii. Uh, the NIV translates that there, more than a year's worth of wages. So let's just kind of make this real for a second. Median income of Hendricks County is around $65,000. 
Understand that what this unnamed woman has just done has walked in, broken the flask, pouring it out over Jesus' head. And as the people watching this are watching, they're not seeing just ointment streaming down his face. They're seeing 65K. They're seeing a year's worth of income. And they're going, are you crazy? A year's worth of money poured out in a matter of seconds? Jesus has something else to say. He kind of has a different take on what just happened. Verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for what? For burial. And in the midst of this woman being scolded for her uh, total foolish decision here, Jesus said, no, hold on a second. That wasn't foolish. Yeah, you have like a great idea. Use the money to serve the poor. Jesus isn't minimizing the ministry to the poor here. He's maximizing the brevity of time that these disciples have left with him on this earth. And as she walks in and she pours this oil over his head, we just need to kind of step back and see throughout the Old Testament the messianic significance of that moment right there. King after king, when anointed, heads would be covered with oil. And now this unnamed woman, she walks in and she anoints the head of the king of kings and at the same time prepares his body for burial. Do you find it interesting that in a matter of hours, the Passover lambs would be, prepared, would be being prepared to be slaughtered? And here you have Jesus, less than 48 hours to the cross, being prepared for the same kind of thing. And Jesus says this about her, and then he, he says, he leaves this woman with one of the most unbelievable legacy statements that could ever be made about someone's life. Verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Everyone say, whoa. What's her name? Mark doesn't give it to us. But her story gets to hang on the coattails of the greatest message that will circle the globe. 
That when people will hear that foundation, that salvation is only found through Jesus Christ, and they're like, oh yeah, we got to tell you this woman and this extravagant act of, of love and faith that she poured out on Jesus. How cool is that? And Mark just kind of pauses here. And he pulls out of taking us towards the Passover meal. And he just stops and highlights this sold-out woman's extravagant act of love. And so I just want to pause here a second. And I want to ask this. Are we living a flask-broken, pour-it-all-out-for-Jesus kind of life? The people at that table would have been used to, hey, Jesus, I want to do something for you. I want to show you how much I love you. I want to serve you. Let me prick a little hole in the top of this. Let me dab a little bit on my hand. Let me rub it down your cheeks, pat you on the head and say, Jesus, see how much I love you? And this woman walked up and said, forget that. Boom, all of it. I'll just be honest here. This tore me up this week studying it. Because I'm going, Jesus, how often do I go? Here's my Sunday dab. And, And here's my daily devotion dab. And, and here's my, I'll, I'll serve you, caveat, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, Dab. And yet the unnamed woman, extravagant love, says, no, you walk in, you two-hand the flask over the edge of the table, and you just pour it all out. Because the perfect Lamb of God is worthy of it. And it's just like a... Lord, I want more of that. I want more of that. Who cares that the rest of the people who will watch my life will say, what are you doing? How foolish is that? You just poured out a year's worth of your salary. What are you thinking? You're like, no, no, no. I didn't pour it out. To use the words the disciples used, I didn't waste it. I just made an investment in eternity that'll be there with me forever while I'm worshiping Jesus all the time. And Mark highlights this woman's extravagant act of love for Jesus. But I believe he did this not just to highlight her. I believe he did it to set her, her extravagant act of sold out love in contrast to who we're about to see who's an absolute total sellout. We've just studied her. Now look at verse 10. Then who? Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. A traitor. 
playing the part of a disciple, but, but truly betrayal is at heart here. That's who Judas is. And I find it so interesting that on the heels in Mark's gospel of one of the most extravagant acts of love towards Jesus is now the vilest act of betrayal in all of history. That here you have the unnamed woman sold out, anointing the Messiah for burial. And in the next sentence, you have the named disciple who's a sellout joining in the murder plot. We head back to the preparation for the Passover meal. With these two little pieces of background information on our mind. Verse 12. And on the first day of what? Of unleavened bread. We got a time marker here. We need to go back to our timeline. It's not two days before Passover now. It's not Wednesday. It's Thursday. It's it's time for the lambs to be prepared. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Uh, The Passover meal was to happen inside the city walls of Jerusalem. They're probably out in a suburb somewhere around Bethany. And they're going, where are we going to eat this thing? We got to have a place in the city. Jesus has it all figured out, as he always does. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. You know those times where you're meeting someone for the first time at like a restaurant, and you've never met them before, and you have no idea what they look like? And you just kind of walk in with that awkward look on your face, and you wait till you meet eye contact with the other person who has the awkward look on your face? And everyone's like, stop creepily looking at me. You think this is what it was like for the disciples here? That every, every guy with water walking by, they're like, are you my water carry guy? And they walk in. They said, Jesus says, here will be the sign. There'll be a guy carrying water. I'll meet him there and follow him. Verse 14. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he has told them, and they prepared the Passover. Lambs slaughtered on Thursday, meal being prepared all day, so that when sundown comes, sundown, new day, it's a new day, it's Friday of Passover week, it's Good Friday. Verse 17, and when it was evening, there it is, he came with the 11. Is that what you got there? Came with the Who? The betrayers at the table. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Remember Independence Day celebration on your mind? 
I mean, they're here. They're here to celebrate the Passover meal. No doubt the room is filled with talking. It's filled with laughter. It's filled with chatter. The, the, you can hear the kind of the dishes being passed around the table. They're ready to eat. They're ready to celebrate. They're ready to remember. And all of a sudden, Jesus cuts through the chatter and says, one of you will betray me. Silence. You can almost picture the disciples in mid-pass just frozen. Eyes fixed on him. Then kind of eyes darting around to the others in the room going, what, what, what did he just say? What do you think Judas is doing here? I think he's just staring at the ground. You think he's blushing? Was there anything that could make Judas blush? You think he's playing it off with the rest of them? Going, man, I'm, I wonder who that guy is. And I just want you to feel some anvil, life-crushing news in the midst of your July 4th celebration. That's what just happened here. The room just went heavy. Now look at the disciples' response. Verse 17. They began to be sorrowful and said to him one after another, Is it I? I think the disciples by this point, they just... They like had just like screwed up the thing so many times. They're like, I don't even trust me anymore. Am I the one? They're just like, is it me? Jesus answers them. Verse 20, he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Psalm 41.9 there is what Jesus is referring to. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Do you remember our unnamed lady's legacy statement? Hey, wherever the gospel's preached... Your story's going to be told. Ready for Judas's? It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The heaviness you're feeling right now is the heaviness of that room and heavier. It's like, I, 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 thought we, I thought we came here to celebrate the Passover. I thought we were like celebrating God's faithfulness. Like, what, what's all this, Jesus? And the meal goes on to verse 22. But before we go there, remember something. Remember what's on the forefront of the Jewish people's minds on a night like tonight. Re- remember what the disciples are thinking right now. That, that, that lamb on the table in front of them is a remembrance, is a reminder that it was a lamb's body who would be broken. 
and a lamb's blood that would be shed to preserve their life, to spark an exodus out of physical slavery in the nation of Egypt towards the promised land where God on the way would meet them at Mount Sinai, would make a covenant with his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's what's on the forefront of their mind. That's the image in front of them on the table. And now with that on our mind, look at what Jesus says here. Verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it. And gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the what? Next word. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And with the Passover lamb on the table in front of the people, reminding them of God's deliverance for them out of Egypt, exodus into the promised land, Jesus stands before his disciples and he gets up there and he says, hey, let me tell you about a Passover lamb. And it's not the one on the table. I am the perfect Passover lamb. I'm the one whose body will be broken. And I'm the one whose blood will be shed. And this Passover lamb's broken body and shed blood isn't just to save people from the nation of Egypt during a night called Passover. This broken body and this shed blood will save every tribe and every tongue and every nation for all of eternity. And it will lead them on an exodus, not out of physical slavery in the land of Egypt, but out of slavery to sin and to self and into the promised land of a new life in Christ. That's our Passover lamb. And he says to them, when you take of this broken bread, and when you drink of this cup, you know how we've had this meal year after year after year to remember the Passover? Guess what? There's a new Passover lamb to remember. The perfect lamb of God. And I just want to say, if you're here tonight, today, and you've always like, you know what? I've always, I've always known about Jesus going to the cross. I've always known that the church is maybe a good thing. And I've, I've always been trying to piece together what this means and what this looks like for me. Here's what you need to hear. That you were created for God's glory. And that's why as you've pursued all these different paths in life and all these different things. And when you finally got to the end and you crossed the finish line and you're like, there it is. There will be the thing that brings me total fulfillment and ultimate accomplishment. And like 10 minutes later, you're like, uh. It's because you were created for God's glory. 
You were created for his delight and for his pleasure. And here's the thing. God gets glory from our lives when we're in right relationship with him. And all the way back to the beginning of this, the foundation of this world, sin entered it. It really doesn't take me real long to realize how sinful I am. Sin is basically when God said, hey, I don't want you to do that, and we do it anyway. And God says, hey, I really want you to do that, and we say, no, no thanks. God looks at that, and he says, that's sin. He said, there's a penalty for sin. And that penalty's death, and we're going, yeah, big deal, we all die. No, 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 not just physical death. The penalty for sin, as God says, is death, eternal separation from him forever. And yet God loved us so much that he sent his only son. The son we've been reading about, the perfect Passover lamb, who said, I see what the penalty for sin is. I see that it's death. I'm coming. My body will be broken. My blood will be shed. I will be nailed to a cross so that... Whoever believes in me, whoever calls on me in faith, whoever sees that they need a savior, that they can't be good enough to get to God, whoever calls on me will be saved. They'll turn away from, out of the slavery to sin and to self, and they'll pursue the promised land of being a new creation in Christ. And so if you're here today and you're like, I've never connected this. I've never seen that I'm a sinner. I've never seen that I have a need for a savior. I never understood that Jesus had to go to the cross for me. Realize it right now. And he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus will be saved. Would you do that in your seat right now? Lord Jesus, I see my sin. And I see that I'm hopeless without you. Come save me and come save me now. And Lord, like from this day forward, I'm, I'm just going to live a flask broken, all poured out kind of life for you. That's the significance of what Jesus is about to do here in less than 24 hours when he goes to the cross. And for us who know him here, Today would be the perfect day to take communion. Amen? We're not going to do it. We're just going to sit on this for a week. We're just going to sit on the truths of who our perfect Passover lamb is. And we're going to dwell on the fact that when we remember his broken body and when we remember his shed blood, we are remembering that he has rescued us. He's led us on an exile out of sin into the promised land of being a new creation in Christ. And all week we're going to let that build and we're going to let it build and we're going to let it build. And then we're going to walk through these doors next Sunday and we are going to celebrate remembering our perfect Passover lamb. Amen. We're just going to take communion as a church. But God's word asks us of something as we prepare for communion. 
The words are just to examine ourselves. That's hard. It says, every time you come and you take of the Lord's table and you remember my body broken, my bloodshed, would you just examine yourselves and see where you're at? And so this week, would we, would we ask the hard question? Lord, where am I giving you dabs of myself where you are asking me to break the flask and pour it out? Lord, where have I grown content and comfortable with you having just a little, little piece of me when you're actually the worthy, perfect Lamb of God who's deserving of all of And would we just examine and search ourselves this week and let God just put his finger on places? And then would we just repent of our dabbing? And would we joyfully pursue the flask broken, all poured out kind of life for Jesus? Amen. Because the perfect lamb of God is worthy of it. going to respond by worshiping as we close, but I would, I would love you to stand with me. I just want to pray over us. I want to pray for our week ahead. I want to pray that the Lord would truly reveal those areas to us. He'd give give us the wisdom to know where he's calling us to change and to grow, and then he'd give us the courage to act on it. So if you would, just bow your heads. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we... We just stop right now. And though, Lord, we are going to wait a week for the act of communion... And the act of remembrance, Lord, I pray right now we would stop and we would remember the significance of the cross, the significance of what you're going to do in a matter of hours after this meal we've studied right here today. Lord, would we realize the significance of that cross means we are no longer in bondage, in slavery to sin, to self. Lord, we have been brought out into the promised land of being a new creation in you, Lord. And Lord, we gather here as grateful people. All glory, all honor to you for the saving work you've done in our lives. And yet, Lord, I, I pray right now. I pray right now for someone in this room who's never called on your name. Who, Lord, up to this day was just kind of living life, didn't didn't see a need for you, didn't see that, that they had sin in their life, didn't see that they needed a Savior. Lord, would your Holy Spirit right now grip their heart at, in such a way where the only thing they can do is hit their knees, repent, and say, Lord Jesus, it's you, I want you, I'm following you for every day from this day forward. Lord, we ask you for that. 
And then, Lord, for us here who are following, whether we've been following for a week, for a year, for 25 years, Lord, as we search our hearts this week, as we examine, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper next Sunday, Lord, would you just graciously show us where we're dabbing out the ointment of our life where you've, when, when you've called us to break the flask wide open. And then, Lord, when we go to change, would we just not white-knuckle it and try harder? Be like, I'm going to do better, Lord. No, would we lay it there before you, total surrendered, saying, Lord Jesus, I can't change this. You have to come do it. I lay it at your feet. I surrender it to you. Come work in me. Or that's what we're going after. Thank you, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. And we pray all this in your name.